Welcome to the Holy City Church Podcast Station. This is Pastor Angel. If you missed Sunday's sermon or want to listen to it again, you're in the right place. We're glad that you can take the time to catch up as we go through God's Word together. So I hope you're ready. But if you're not, grab your Bible. Let's get ready for what God has in store for us today. We're going to continue with the, uh, with the letter in, for, to the Church of Corinth. Uh, uh, Cesar Nicholas and his paymaker. Uh, it's a story from a long time ago. Uh, Cesar Nicholas, who was an emperor of Russia, had given the son of one of his best friends a position as a paymaster. Uh, paymaster is like a treasurer. So he was given the, permit, the position as a paymaster in a border uh, fortress. So this young man had a gambling problem. So he got himself in a bit of a situation where he found himself broke and in need of money to continue this gambling habit that he had. So that led to him to begin taking a few rubles, which is Russian uh, money at that time. Uh, he took here and there from the money that was entrusted to him. He didn't realize how much he'd taken until one day he received word from an official who was coming the next day to examine the books. Now he was confronted with the magnitude of his debt and realized he had no way to set things right. He decided the only way out was to end it. So he readied his service revolver on his note which can't pay. To work up his courage to, do, to go through with the deed of taking his own life, he began to drink more and more. But before he could actually get the courage to do so, he passed out. That same night, Sister Nicholas, dressed as a soldier, happened to be visiting that very fortress. He was doing a surprise inspection. Noticing a light, on, a light that was on when all should have been dark, he entered the room to find the young man asleep at his desk. And a quick survey, the notes, the alcohol, the gun, told him what had transpired. What had been transpiring for months. As he was thinking about arresting him, he saw the words written on the wrote a single word on that paper. The next morning, the young man awoke to the sound of the bugo, the bugo called and immediately reached for his gun and put it to his temple. For that single new word written beneath his own message caught his eyes. And that message, that one single line said, Nicholas. He didn't pull the trigger. And next to that one word was a small sack of gold coins contained the exact amount necessary to balance the account. See, this young man knew how much he owed. And he wrote it. He said, a great debt, who could pay? And Nicholas said, I could pay. And he paid that debt. The same man he was stealing from paid the debt this young man owed. 
This is the point that I've been trying to make the last couple of weeks. This is the point that Paul wants to make in the middle of all this division within the church. They were focusing so much on who was better, who could speak better, who can teach better. The focus was on who was better when there was more important things to focus on. For example, you have sinned against God and you are in debt to Him. The same way this young man was in debt to his master, to the one who gave him the job, to the ruler, to the leader. The same way we have a debt to pay against God. But this debt is so big that it's impossible for any of us to pay. Not even for ourselves, but for anyone else. We cannot pay this debt. There's only one who can, and that is Jesus Christ. And he paid for your sins on the cross. And this is a very important message because this message applies to every single one of us. We all owe God a debt. There's not one person in this world that can say, I owe God nothing. They may think they don't owe God anything, but everyone owes God something. And this is the message that should be the focus of all because there's nothing man can do to fix the debt that has brought on because of sin. And that's true wisdom. True wisdom is knowing, believing, and teaching this message. There is no other wisdom of this world that can do what the wisdom of God does. And as teachers and preachers, speakers, or even just Christ's followers, we should never stray away from that foundation which is Christ in philosophy or, or historical conversation or scientific conversations for that matter, or political conversation. I'm not saying we shouldn't. That's not the point. That's not what I'm trying to say. But all conversations should center on Christ. If we're having a scientific conversation, the focus and the center of that conversation ought to be Christ. Because Christ is the answer to the problems in this world. And I know not many understand this message. I know we can sit with people and, and try to have this conversation and, and they're not going to understand. Paul was clear. This message is foolish to those who don't have Christ. But what they're not aware is that they thought it was foolish. Though they think it's foolish, it's actually wise because the wisdom of God and all the wisdom in this world fall short to the wisdom of God. So today we're going to, so I titled this sermon Knowing the Divine Wisdom of God. And we have to remember that for the apostles, the cross was the center. Everything they did focused on the cross. The heart of their message was Christ crucified. But during that time, it was a custom for the people there to, to lean and seek out the wisdom of 
of those who were smart, of those who seemed like they were smart. Having wisdom was something major, something that, you know, got you popularity and, and, and attention and, and even power. The smarter you seemed like you were, the more powerful you were and the more people liked you. They were drawn to philosophers and teachers. On top of that, they were drawn to signs and wonders. They were always seeking out signs and always looking for amazing things. Therefore, if we see amazing things, that's how we know that is true. We're going to do for them what the wisdom of God does for the kingdom and the people in the kingdom of God. So we got to ask if it's true, if true human wisdom plays no part in the kingdom of God, what should Paul's message be? And when we read this section of the letter, we see that true mythology for preaching, the true mythology that we should all be using to preach. And we should all be preaching because preaching is not just me getting up here in the pulpit every Sunday and preaching. When we speak to our friends, when we talk about Christ to others, we're preaching in a sense. We don't have this whole message with titles and stuff prepared with points and outlines and all that. But what we're doing is preaching. So this applies to everybody. Because we've all been called to make disciples. And when you make disciples, you preach. So you can't really avoid it. Sorry. You know, for those who said, nah, I'm I would never preach. Oh, unfortunately, you have. <laughs> you I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in the weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and the power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So the first way that Paul, the first method Paul used, says Paul didn't come with lofty speech or wisdom. He just came with Jesus Christ and him crucified. So he didn't come with lavish speeches or anything like that. His first method is just coming with Christ crucified. This means that he didn't come with speech and wisdom that, that was superiority over everything. Or some other versions it says an excellent speech. In other words, he didn't come with words and wisdom that came from something new or, or, or he didn't come with a presentation that, that took away from the word of God. Paul didn't come like this because he was lacking knowledge, right? He wasn't uh, a fool or he didn't necessarily said, hey, you know, I'm just going to throw my brain in the trash, right? He's, he was actually discipled by one of the well-known rabbis at that time. So Paul was smart. He was a smart man. I mean, he was good at debating. I mean, he didn't lack this superiority speech. But like in verse 2 says, he decided not to come in those methods and only preach Christ crucified because that's where the power lies. He didn't say, I'm going to come with all this because, you know, the way I come with my awesome speech, that's what's going to get people to listen. No, he said, Christ crucified is the power that's where the power is in so therefore i'm going to come with christ crucified 
Secondly, the second method he used, says Paul didn't come with a message that depended on the circumstances and the pressure of society, but he came fully dependent on the Holy Spirit. So whether in times of difficulties, persecution, or, or times of, of demands from the people, or times where, where he was being rejected, or, or times that he was scared that he was going to be rejected, or that he was going to be uh, humiliated, whatever the time it was, the only message that he brought was the message that he was given to bring, which was Christ crucified. See, he didn't add or remove depending on the circumstances of society. He wasn't preaching depending on, oh, what, are, what are people going to like? What do they want to hear? What's going to make him feel better? He didn't come with that. He didn't go, okay, well, these people here, they like when, when you get, uh, you know, really loud and, and use really big words, right? These are, they're attracted to that. So therefore, let me come with amazing words and, and let me do some kind of entertainment because these guys are only attracted to entertainment. No, he, he doesn't care. He wasn't worried about that. He wasn't worried about what they were uh, uh, expecting. He brought Christ crucified. He didn't water it down because it was offensive. Right? Or he didn't make it bigger just to keep up with the intelligence of the so-called world, right? Just to fulfill those desires that they have to, to you know, to have that smart part of the sermon, right? He just came with the truth. Now, don't get me wrong. If you looked at all the other letters, clearly, this is not all that Paul talked about, right? He didn't have a one-point sermon. He didn't have one paper, one point, and that's where he everywhere, everywhere he went, he took that one, you know, that one sermon. He preached all the time the same exact thing. He dealt with the barriers, the sin, the sin that was blocking the, uh, preventing him from being able to put in that seed, right? He, he tackled those things as well. And of course, everywhere he went, he adapted to their understanding and limitations. So he wasn't going to say certain things that, you know, that he knew that they weren't going to understand it. Like if these were brand new Christians or brand new converts or, or people that never even heard of it, he wasn't just going to give them theology, right? He was going to, you know, go ease in because he wants them to hear. So he did do that. But whatever he did say, whatever he did do, he was making the way to preach the gospel. And even then, those things that he did say and those things that he spoke about, they were within the wisdom of God. So even when he had to adjust a little bit because of the audience, he didn't took away from who God was. He was always focusing on Christ and the gospel. And everything that he was teaching, everything that we read nowadays, everything he was teaching to them was always to lead them to Jesus Christ crucified. And he knew this approach was important because of what he said in verse 5. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, if Paul would have buckled under pressure of society to bring self-help teachings or, or entertainment to draw them in. If you would have bulk on the society because that's what they're asking for. Entertain me. Give me what I'm looking for. If you would have buckled, 
He would have just been doing them, uh, 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 putting them in a bad situation. He was setting them up for failure if he would have done that. Because he would have been preaching and teaching something that was not true. Has somebody told me once, right? Hey, you should use more motivational, more uh, stories about yourself. That way people are more motivated and your sermons sound a little bit more interesting. I'm like, for what? What is my life going to do for you? Nothing. It's not going to do anything for you. Why am I going to insert stories just so you can be motivated by my life? I'm a sinner just like everyone else is. I struggle just like you all struggle. There's nothing in my life that's not that's worth anything to motivate you. Only Christ crucified. So it was very important for Paul to know that the convincing was being done by the Holy Spirit and not by his own wisdom. Because the Holy Spirit was the one that was going to convince them. And when it is the Holy Spirit that truly convinces them, it was going to be a permanent convincing. It wasn't going to be a conviction that was just going to last for a few minutes and be like, oh, but this guy now told me this. Nah, I changed my mind. Right? We've seen that. I come to you, I conv you're convinced by what I said, but then that guy over there gets a lot more smarter than I am. He uses a lot bigger words than me. You'll be like, no, this sounds a lot better. Let me, uh, uh, yeah, I changed my mind, right? We do that all the time. So imagine if Paul was coming to teach them based on his own wisdom. Their faith was going to be set on the fact that this guy was smart. So if something happened with this guy that's smart, all of a sudden, their faith crumbles. Right? Imagine that. We've seen that often, right? Especially the last couple of years, right? A bunch of people, why? They leave Christ. They leave the faith. Why? Because the church didn't have answers. I had questions and the church didn't answer them. So you're leaving because you don't understand? Because I don't understand. Therefore, you don't understand. So therefore, let's leave the church. So you're basing your faith on whether you know or not. That's why we cannot put our faith on the wisdom of men. We have to put it on the Holy Spirit, the one that changes us. If he changes us, you cannot understand everything here and still keep your faith. So he came with a mythology that was very plain and simple. So does that mean that he was against wisdom or, or thought that he needed to throw his brain in the trash, like I've said, to preach Christ crucified? Actually, no. He says the opposite. Look at verse 6. Yet among mature we do impart wisdom. Although it is not wisdom of the age, of the ruler of the age, who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. Okay, first of all, First of all, we, the mature here is referencing those, is referencing someone who has already recognized God's wisdom, right? So Paul is saying, as a matter of fact, those who are already in Christ do and already teach the true wisdom. They have it, they've been given to them, and they teach that already. And what they teach is true wisdom. The outside of the world, the leaders of the outside world, may think it's foolish. Those who are outside are thinking, you're, you're crazy. But you're actually wiser because you understand the gospel. 
and teach it using God's wisdom. You're smarter than those who are saying, you're crazy, you're stupid for believing that. It's moronic. But you're smarter because you know where the power lies in. You know what's after this. So though they were not using philosophy and wisdom of men, they still preached with wisdom. And Paul says that the true wisdom that they were teaching was a wisdom that was a secret and hidden, established before time. This means that the true wisdom was a secret and hidden from the world. A wisdom that God determined before creation. This also means that the wisdom is not discoverable by human wisdom, but only when God reveals it. That's what Paul is saying. This wisdom that they're, the world is calling foolish, of course they're calling foolish. They, they don't know it. It's a secret wisdom. It can only be revealed to them by God. And Paul says the mature impart this wisdom. This means they talk and they teach this wisdom. Those who are in Christ speak this wisdom. That wisdom that God had revealed to them. Which means that though it may have been hidden, it might be a hidden secret, it is now revealed. Yeah, sure, this was a secret at one point, but God has revealed it. So God has revealed those hidden secrets to those who are in Christ. And those who are in Christ teach it. See, during those times, there was a, a lot of attempts to figure out the world, right? And the meaning of the world, just like we do, right? We've, we've had so much involvement in trying to figure out the meaning of life and the meaning of everything. So to discover this meaning, you know, they, they try to use their own reasoning, their own knowledge, their own understanding, to determine the meaning of the world and everything around it. So what happens is their view of God now becomes what they think because their view of God is coming from their own knowledge, their own wisdom, their own understanding. And then when that happens, when you're doing that, what you're creating is a false God. And that's what you're going to get, a false God, because you created a God based on your own wisdom and understanding. But what they didn't want to understand was the secret are only revealed by God and only through the revelation can anyone know the real God. And during the time that this letter was being written by Paul, God ha had already started revealing this uh, to them by the teachers and the prophets and, and, and the apostles. All those people were revealing this wisdom to them. The one question I always hear from those who don't believe is, how can we believe that whatever they were saying is even true? Right? You're saying, well, what they, you know, they, were, they were speaking truth, right? And, and we would have been doing that time, right? They were, they were listening to Paul speak and listening to the other disciples, the other apostles, the teachers speak, and they're probably asking the same question. How do we know what they're saying? Anybody can come and say, oh, God told me, right? We don't know that, right? How many people have said that? God told me. Oh, God told you, and it must be true, right? So how do we know? 
How do we know that is true? And if you see verse 8 and 9, talk, Paul talks about how the leaders there didn't know. They didn't know they were, what they were doing. If they did, they would have not crucified Jesus. And he talks about how only those who truly love God know and understand because it has been revealed to them. But how? How do they know that this is true wisdom? And there are many ways to answer this using human wisdom, right? We can see here and, and have different talks about how we can know that this is true. But this is what Paul says in verse 10. These things God has revealed through us through the Spirit. So how do they know? The Spirit. Through the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is how they can come to an understanding and know and teach the message of Christ crucified. The Holy Spirit is the one that allows them to understand and, and reveals to them the truth. So somebody will be speaking false. The Spirit will help them discern it. Now this doesn't mean that they understood everything all at once. But it means that now they have the capacity to understand. Now is where can they understand what God is saying. And as they mature and they grow, they will come to understand more and be able to speak more and teach more. Because it takes some time. It takes a process. But knowing if what is being said is true or not comes from the Holy Spirit. And he continues. For the Spirit searches everything, even the death of God, who knows the who knows a person, though, sorry, who, for who knows a person thought except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So Paul says, hey, who knows better, who knows your, who knows better your inner thoughts than your spirit? No one. None of us here knows us better. No one here, not even my wife, knows me better then my spirit knows me better. She doesn't know what I'm thinking. She doesn't know what I'm feeling. Unless I tell her, she won't know. And a lot of times you don't, right? I'm sure we're all on board of that. We don't say every single thing we're thinking to our, our spouses or our friends or, or, or our pastors or, or whoever's around us. We don't do that. That's not, that's not, no, don't do that. <laughs> don't tell them everything, right? But our spirit knows everything. So who knows better God and who knows better God's wisdom than the Spirit of God? No one. The Holy Spirit knows even the depths of God. The Holy Spirit knows all of God and if the Spirit knows all of God, He knows the wisdom of God and knows the gospel better than anyone. So then, he says in verse 12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So the, the spirit that knows and understands the truth is the same spirit those who, 
who are mature have. Those who are saved in Christ. This same spirit that knows God better than anyone. That same spirit, that same spirit is the one that allows us to understand it. God gives us that spirit to understand God. Now let's forward, let's fast forward 2,000 years later from what this was written. Because if we look at what's coming out of the church nowadays, I think some of them have been missed or maybe forgot about what Paul's writing here. I happened to come across a sermon from Stephen Ferdinick, right? And I'm going to mention his name because he's been reached out to many times and he won't change. So, you know, I won't mention his name if nobody's talked to him. I won't put him on the spot. But hey, he's one of the most popular among the many charismatic preachers that we have nowadays, right? He said in one of his sermons, he said, this sounds unpastoral, but I don't care as much what you think about my sermon. So he was telling his people, I don't care what you think about my sermon. And he was referring to those who criticize him about the way that he preaches. He doesn't care what people think about what he's teaching. Of course not. This is the same guy that uh, also in another sermon said, I am not attached to a political person. I am, not a, I am attached to God Almighty. I am God Almighty. So this is the guy that all he preaches is self-help and and. And prosperity and all this. Of course he doesn't care. What people think of his preaching. Because if he cares. That means he has to change what he's preaching. Because clearly you're not preaching Christ crucified. And the moment you start preaching Christ crucified. You're going to have to take a pay cut. Because there's going to be half of that church leaving. They don't want to hear that. And I know some say, well, you, you, you're taking him out of context. You know, he, he, that's not what he meant. But you have to understand that many, if not all, of his sermons are self-help, self-empowering. It's about me type of sermons. So maybe you might get something mistaken. And, you know, that happens to me sometimes where I say something that necessarily, that's not what I was thinking. It just came out of my mouth different than I was thinking it. And when you go back and be like, yeah, that's not what I meant. I get it. That happens. I'm not perfect by all means. But when it's every Sunday, you're saying stuff and it kind of just, you know, you can fix it then Sunday after that and say, well, you know, I was talking about this, but I meant this. But if you're preaching the same thing that you're, that sounds like it's off, oh, that doesn't sound right, but you keep sounding not right, it's a problem. So I, I'm not taking it out of context. When you continue to focus so much on entertainment and sounding attractive and cool, you're going to eventually start preaching and teaching the same garbage that he's teaching as if that's what Christ crucified was. But, but the churches are growing. Pastor, what are you talking about? The churches are growing. Your church don't grow. They're girls. You're doing something wrong. You're just jealous. No, I'm not jealous. I'm actually worried about those people. Their lives are getting lost. And the fact that it's happening and, and churches are growing because of that, that's not a necessarily good thing. 
This is God's judgment on these people. They're asking, hey, I want this garbage. So God said, fine, if you continue to seek that garbage, here you go. That's judgment. You want this? You want the world wisdom? You want the world's entertainment? And that's what the only way you're going to go to church? That's what really matters? Then fine, here you go. But that ain't going to save you. You might feel good now. And you might leave this building feeling, oh, I can be the next CEO of my company. But that's not going to save you. Like how R.C. Sproul puts it. Well, he used to put it. Because he passed away. He said, he used to say, what we're missing in church is sound biblical exposition. What we're missing in this in church is the word of God. So how do we, as a church in general, not just our church in general, avoid this? Or, or, or if we're going through this already, maybe change this. First thing we could do is recognize that it has all been revealed already. I want to tell you something that we easily forget or miss when we read letters like this. God, through the Holy Spirit, was using the prophets, was using the apostles, the disciples, and the teachers of those days to reveal the true wisdom of God. They were not preaching Christ crucified. And they were inspired by the Spirit to write it all down. And 2,000 years later, we will have the revelation. That inspired word of the Holy Spirit given to those teachers during those times has been written and everything, all of God's wisdom that he wanted us to know has already been revealed and is found in the Bible. It's already been revealed. There's nothing new. There's no new words. There's no new prophecies. It's already here. We have to recognize that. Because if we don't recognize it, we're going to start looking for new things. And looking for new things. And when you look hard enough, you're going to find something that's not really there, but you're going to, you're going to find it. Yes, I know. We have those who don't get it, who, those who reject it, who call it stupid. Uh, even created their own religion called atheists to fight against it. Right? Because if there was, you know, if there was no God for real, then there wouldn't be no atheists. Because they have nothing to argue against. They got nothing to fight against, right? So yeah, we've had that. We we have that. And the reason we still have people that rejected it is because those people have yet to receive the capacity to know God. The Holy Spirit is not in them, and therefore they just don't know. It hasn't been revealed to them yet. Second way we can avoid this is recognize that it can't be discovered by human methods. We have to understand this. God chose to reveal it to those who are in him. As Paul explains it in verse 10, God has revealed to us what you know and what you've come to know was not revealed to you by men. 
It was revealed to you by God through the Holy Spirit. He didn't choose to reveal his wisdom through men. Instead, he chose to reveal himself through the word that we have already. And we understand this word because of the Holy Spirit allows us to understand these words. The moment God saves us, he gives us the spirit. Then we can start to understand. And then those words can start to change our lives. And then we are used by God as the means to get this same message out to others who God has called to himself. He doesn't need us. He just makes us involved in it. Which brings me to my last way, my last point, my last way to avoid this issue. It's very simple. We've been talking about it for the last three weeks, I think. Preach, teach, and speak God crucified. If you preach the wisdom of God, you will never be going against the power of God. You may be going against the power of the world. But you will never be against God. Why? Because you're preaching God's wisdom. Not your own wisdom. We have to stop creating new theories and ideas of how we got the Bible. We have to stop creating new th theories of how the world and men came to be. I mean, we... We've had so many little sources that are coming out of the church with their own ideas. You know what? The Bible doesn't... You know what? We've been preaching for the last 2,000 years plus, you know, before Christ even come. Yeah, that's, man, that's not how it really happened. They call themselves believers. But they have new ideas now. We have to stop watering things down or creating shows in order that the world may stop looking down on us. Through all my life, I've heard, you know, people think Christians are boring, so we'll show them how boring we're not. So let's uh, stage up the, the church and turn it into a show. Because we're not boring. Let's prove them wrong. Let's talk about the believers nowadays after, you know, all they do is go after social justice, changing society, or even trying to make the world a better place. But they're out there doing it based on their own wisdom and their own methods. They want to change the world, but they're going to do it their way. Let me tell you, this is not going to change anything. You may change a person for a period of time. He may actually be like, ah, you know what? Yeah, let me not be racist. Yeah, you shouldn't be racist. You might change him. For a few years and then something comes up. Eh, somebody else convinced him that it was okay to be racist. So therefore he is going to be racist now. Or you change one person. But the whole neighborhood and the whole community is all racist. The world is full of sin. Sin is what's causing these issues. Sin is what's causing the division. 
Sin, that's the problem. And this is a message that changes. This is a message that brings new birth. The church has been called to deal with the root of the problem of this world. And it's not social justice, it's sin. It is the sin that's in society. And this is the message that changes people. When you change people with this message, society is going to change because now we have true change. Now we have true hearts, change hearts, who are after the justice of God. So therefore society and the people living in that society are going to go after the justice. And that's when you're going to stop seeing abuse and racism. That's when you're going to stop seeing uh, delinquency and people killing each other when sin is tackled. You see everything that government has tried to do. Has it changed anything? Really? Has it? Tell me. I, I haven't seen. I just, it just gets worse to me. It hasn't because we're tackling it with human wisdom. And not with the wisdom of God, which is Christ crucified. Spurgeon says, Surely the new theology can do no good towards God of men. It has no adaptation for it. If we preach for thousands of years by all the most earnest men of school, it will never renew a soul nor overcome pride in a single human heart. If we continue to use the wisdom of men to change the world, nothing is going to happen. And I'm not saying we shouldn't go to school and we should have this conversation. Don't learn about math. It's not important. I'm not saying none of that. I'm not saying don't have a career. Don't, I'm not saying don't ask people how they're doing. Don't have conversations. I'm not saying don't have desire to change because it's not going to happen. No. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is when it comes down to the most important things in this world, the eternal state of men, don't waste your time coming up with, with your own ideas and your own ways of doing things. Go directly to the center of what really saves, which is Christ crucified. And look, there's some who don't understand this. There are many who don't understand this message. Maybe someone here rejects this message of the gospel as well. I'm not surprised at all of this message being rejected by many. But let me ask you this. You have a debt that you need to pay back. Who is going to pay for it? Knowing and understanding Christ paid for you and the cross is the wisest thing that you are going to hear today. So I pray that you come to an understanding because to hold this wisdom means more than any wisdom that the world can ever offer you. I pray that God may give you this desire to seek him through his revelation and the Holy Spirit may help you understand it. I pray that when the end comes, 
that you are standing victorious in the presence of God because of the gospel. And I have nothing to offer you other than that. I have no awesome story. I have no great story about myself. Nothing. I have none of that to offer you. But to offer you this. This is all I have to offer you. There is no self-help or philosophy that I can offer you that will truly make a permanent everlasting mark in your life. The only message worth sharing with you is Christ died to pay for your sin. And he resurrected three days later proving that he is God. And the only thing I have to ask is would you accept that wisdom from God? Church, pray with me. Father in heaven, Lord. Thank you for your word, Father. Thank you because your word is what changes who we are. Father, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, even though we don't deserve it. Thank you for that free gift. Father, I pray that we may receive that gift. Give us a desire and the ability to receive it. Father, I pray that we have, uh, you give us the ability to, to understand, the capacity to understand the words that you've written down for us. Father, not only that we understand, Lord, that we live it and preach it, just as it is, even if the world doesn't understand it, even if the world rejects it, Father, that we may not be uh, in a situation where we water it down. Father, allow us to speak truth, because truth, this truth of your word, is was real wisdom. Father, thank you for who you are and what you've done already. In your name we pray. My, it's my, bro uh, my brother. Hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you have any questions, would like to connect or listen to our library of sermons, jump right over to our website at www.holycitychurch.us. Again, we want to thank you for listening. And remember, this podcast is not intended to replace your time at the church. So we hope you have a blessed week. And talk to you again next week on Catch Up with Holy City Church. Mm -hmm.